Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Our guest on Carolina Newsmakers this week is the Speaker of the House, uh, Tim Moore. And uh, we have already talked about a number of things that, that uh, the General Assembly will be looking at as it uh, comes back into session and uh, tackles the uh, business of setting up a budget and so forth. One of the things I know, Tim, that you've always been so uh, interested in is our university system. And we do have a uh, university system that is uh, envied across the country. And it is something we uh, sometimes don't appreciate as much here in North Carolina as perhaps we ought to. But uh, it's expensive and we have been able to maintain low tuition. And uh, uh, I know this is foremost on your mind. Uh, what, do you, what do you see about uh, where we're going in higher education? Well, we've, we, of course, have, I would say, one of the preeminent uh, university systems, not only in the, in the nation, but in the world, of having, of course, of 16 different universities within the state. Uh, you have some that are, that are a little stronger than others, and you have, you have some very unique missions among those, those campuses. And so what I, what I believe we need to do is we need to find ways to, to help some of those schools that, that, have, that have struggled in terms of enrollment and on some of, the, um, uh, some of the credentialing and so forth to try to find the right niche uh, to, to, to find where they, what is the right mission for those schools. Uh, and, and so what, I think what you've seen with the, um, uh, with the, the program of having the $500 a semester uh, tuition for a few of our campuses is you've seen an influx in students and some campuses that were having some challenges and then they now are seeing a, a renaissance in terms of their enrollment and, and really just seeing an in, incredible growth and an opportunity to, to, to really refine focus and, and enhance what they're doing. Uh, but the great thing about our university system is it's, you know, truly from the mountains to the coast and every student uh, can afford to go where we go. If you look at the opportunity for the grants, for scholarships, for loans, uh, for the just the affordability of our universities, uh, I think it's important that uh, those who those who come from the, the least means can can afford to go because it's it's an opportunity to allow those uh, those kids to to rise up out of poverty and do well. You know, I, I, my my two sons. Uh, are uh, my, my youngest son's at Chapel Hill, my oldest son's at NC State. I myself am a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill. And so I'm, I consider myself very fortunate to be in the state where uh, we've invested so much and the taxpayers of this state have been so generous to our university. Uh, I do think that we, uh, one thing that I, I believe we need to make sure that's happening is that uh, there is a protection of, of, of everybody's points of view on our campuses that there's a protection of First Amendment rights of everybody, that there's a protection of uh, free speech. You, you know, you hear some campuses that where uh, you know, points of view are being silenced. That doesn't need to happen. So, uh, and I know that's been, that's a conversation wider in academia that needs to happen. Uh, we need to, we need to be very proud of and continue to invest in a lot of things happening in our university system. Uh, there's been a lot of media coverage, for example, that, the uh, while the vaccine development that's happening, the treatment on COVID-19, for example, it, a lot of that is happening in partnership with uh, some of our universities right here in North Carolina. A lot of the technology, something that doesn't get talked about a lot, Don, that's why I want to talk about a quick second. 
a lot of the technologies that people don't realize, everything's from some of the things with your, your cell phones to battery technology is happening with our state universities right here in partnerships with, uh, with companies that get started on the campus. Uh, you look at the, you look at the SAS Institute over in, uh, over in Cary, one of the preeminent uh, software firms that got started at NC State. There are multiple examples of where the universities are more than just instructing, uh, instructing our young people, which of course is the primary mission, but where it's actually leading to the development, research and development and technology, and then also leads to the creation of high-tech, well, uh, well-paying jobs in this state. So the university is is an absolute treasure, and so that's one reason that when it come when it's come to our budgets, when it's come to our policy, that I have uh, just fought doggedly as much as I can to make sure that we invest there. Uh, but I've also insisted that uh, you know the university be held accountable to make sure that it's providing good results, that it's doing what it needs to do, and that our students are being taken care of, and that it's, it's doing uh, the, the best it can to deliver the best results to the taxpayers of the state. Well, you kind of uh, went into an area that I was going to point out, and so uh, I want to reinforce it, and that is the fact that many, many people think in terms of our colleges and universities in terms of undergraduate education, but with our research universities, and we've got two uh, right here in the triangle of North Carolina, UNC and, and NC State that bring in millions and millions of dollars of federal grants and so forth. And uh, so the research done on the campuses ends up making the university an economic driver. And uh, that sometimes gets lost in the discussion of, uh, of uh, what's going on in the college campuses. Exactly. It, it, you know, and it just it cannot be overstated how important that is. I mean, if you look at a lot of the biotech firms, the pharmaceutical companies that are in North Carolina out in the RTP, if it were not for having uh, three major universities in that region, they simply wouldn't be there. That's the draw to have those, uh, those companies there. And then, of course, in eastern North Carolina, uh, the, the valuable role that ECU plays and as I mentioned in the earlier segment, the uh, the School of Medicine at ECU, which uh, I, I fully support a new School of Medicine so that ECU can can turn out more doctors, uh, more primary care physicians who are uh, the front line to providing good quality health care. I mean, that, you know, if, if you're if you're living somewhere and you have a heart attack, you want to know that you're going to be able to a get to a doctor, uh, get to a hospital in time and B, that there's actually going to be a doctor there to take care of you. And that take that that's uh, that starts with a making sure we've got good access to health care and, and make sure we, we've got good physicians here in all parts of the state. And if we don't if, if, if we weren't investing in our universities to do that, those things wouldn't necessarily be there. So these are things that affect people's lives in a very real way. And I'm going to tell you something. People are talking about healthcare and issues now, probably more than any time before because of COVID-19. Uh, it's made it, people talk about your know, hospital capacity and access and all these things because it, it's brought those, it, that issue home in a significant way. And, and it's amazing to think how big of a role the university has, pay, has played on that front. 
We hear a lot of conversation about the importance of broadband in North Carolina. While we have, uh, we're not asleep at the switch in that area of, uh, of internet development, we still have a lot of areas that uh, do not have broadband, and it uh, is very important. What What do you see as uh, the prospects for further development of broadband and the rest of the underserved portions of North Carolina? You know, access to broadband now is is almost. It, it's it's really become a necessity for business. Uh, but now with uh, now with with the schools being closed, it's really a necessity uh, in in folks' homes because that's the way a lot of kids are having to learn. Uh, a, a recent development here, as we're as we're uh, recording this this show, is uh, we funded thirty million dollars for uh, broadband through the Federal CARES Act and found out uh, just yesterday that that Governor Cooper has diverted that $30 million and has directed that it go to be spent on something else. And that was going to be money that we were going to, that was going to be put directly into expanding uh, broadband throughout the state uh, so that, so that it could be expanded immediately in a lot of ways. So that kids who were, who were home from school would have access to it uh, uh, right now. And so I'm not sure why that's happened. We're still asking a lot of questions. I, I, I hope there's a good reason that that's happened. I don't, I, I, I don't understand why it's happened, and I'm sure there'll be much more media coverage about that in the coming days and weeks. But we really have to do that because just as in the, uh, if you look in the, the 20s and 30s when you had the rural electrification, which was all about getting, uh, uh, get, getting electricity out to the rural areas of the state, we're now confronted with the need to do that when it comes to high-speed internet and broadband, because that is now as much a, uh, it, it, not, not as much a necessity as, as electricity, but it is, it is growing in that because access to information is there. And look, when it comes to companies locating, just like you mentioned in the other sector, companies are going to locate where they can get access to a good quality uh, pool of, of, of employees. Well, Companies now also generally are going to need access to good quality uh, high-speed broadband as well. We've got about a minute and a half left in this segment. Uh, briefly, uh, what do you see as uh, important issues in the area of K through 12 education this year? Well, the biggest issue we're going to have to deal with on K-12 is we're going to have to find a way to get these kids caught up who have been stuck at home all these months out of the classroom who I know there's no way that they have been able to, to really effectively learn uh, like they would have in a classroom. Uh, and, and we cannot just, you know, kind of pat them on the back, send them on and, and not worry about it. That that's going to be a disservice. Studies have shown that if a child cannot read by the, by the third grade, they, their opportunities for success are significantly diminished. And so one of the things that, that I'm legitimately worried about and, and, and feel like we are not doing enough to deal with right now is making sure these kids are called up. So we're going to invest more in there. We're going to work through strategies on that. But that, but I'm telling you, Don, that is a huge issue that we have got to really double down on because there's a lot of kids that I'm afraid are going to fall between the cracks on, on this right now because they're not getting that in-classroom instruction. Well, it certainly, uh, there's, as you said, uh, and, and there are, of course, those areas where they don't even have broadband are even more affected by the uh, lack of uh, classroom attendance. Our guest is uh, the Honorable Tim Moore. He's the Speaker of the House of Representatives of the state of North Carolina. 
And we'll be back with one final No word in the English language is less convincing right after than probably. Messages. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, the Honorable Tim Moore, who recently on Monday was reelected to a fourth term as the presiding officer of the North Carolina House of Representatives, this man that would tie a state record for the number of legislative terms holding that position. And uh, 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 Tim goes, uh, comes, of course, from the Kings Mountain area, which is uh, God's country because I, I grew up only six miles away from Kings Mountain. And so uh, I've been fortunate enough to know Tim's parents uh, for a long time and uh, ended up, as a matter of fact, uh, Tim sitting beside them at the final four uh, a couple of years ago and enjoyed the conversation about you. And they told me lots of interesting stories that I will not <laughs> pass on because uh, they might prove to be embarrassing. But anyway, uh -oh. thank, you. thank you very much for being with us. We've been talking about all sorts of things uh, uh, that uh, you'll be facing as uh, you lead the, the House and uh, uh, the legislative priorities. I, I guess the best thing to start this segment is, is just exactly what are your legislative priorities uh, for this upcoming term? Well, I'll tell you, Don, you threw me off. I can only imagine what my parents may have told you. So I, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that off the radio show for sure. Oh man, uh, I'll tell you the, uh, the our priorities as we as we go forward. You know, I, I'll tell you that we've got to make sure that we continue to get North Carolina moving forward as we deal with COVID nineteen. Uh, that this thing has thrown it is it has affected so many people. It of course has taken the lives of of so many of, of so many people, and we have to make sure that we do everything we can to combat this healthcare issue. Uh, and that we also do it in a way that it uh, minimizes as much as possible the impacts to the other parts of life, economics, education, everything else. And it is, uh, it's, it's a real challenge. But I think that's probably our largest issue that we have to deal with right now. Uh, we need to make sure that we are, uh, make sure our kids are getting the best education they can. As I mentioned earlier, we need to make sure that our kids are, are getting what they need during this time and getting the learning the, the, the basics, particularly those younger kids who uh, I would submit to you're getting shortchanged by not having that classroom time. Uh, need to make sure we're investing in our, our education. Need to invest in our justice and public safety. And I'm going to tell you something else that really has struck, has stuck me uh, or, or, or stuck out to me that we need to deal with too, um, Don. I was in Raleigh back when a lot of the unrest happened and, and when, frankly, a lot of the riots happened. Uh, people call you know, call them what you want to. There were riots. I saw them firsthand. 
And I saw, I saw people get hurt. I saw property get damaged. I saw people lose their businesses. And I, I, one, of the, one of the pieces of legislation that I'm going to support when we come in is legislation to really increase penalties on folks who go out here and, and commit assaults and destroy property and, and commit, you know, burn property and commit crime during the, during the time of a riot. Uh, that is something that North Carolina has not seen in decades. And it's something that we shouldn't have to see. And it's something that our folks in law enforcement, something nobody should have to deal with. So you, that's something I think you could, you could expect to see coming up as well. Um, we had, we are in some pretty, um, we've been in some pretty tough and divisive times. And so we're going to work to, we're going to work uh, to do what we can to make sure North Carolina continues to be strong during this time. We continue to be resilient where we're, we're going to work to try to, to be bipartisan. Uh, you know, the uh, COVID relief package that we passed last year passed unanimously. Democrats, Republicans all voted for that legislation. Very proud of that. We're going to we're going to make the effort to get that done, uh, done again this time. Uh, and of course, where we have disagreements, we'll have those openly, honestly and respectfully. But uh, we're going to continue to build on the great success we've had and uh, to try to keep North Carolina in the great position that it uh, that it's in. So it'll continue to grow. We talked about this in the first segment a little bit, but I think we probably need to kind of review it because uh, so much of what you do is going to be affected by budget concerns. And of course, as we talked about a little earlier, uh, revenue may be down or actually will be down, uh, but expenses may be up. And uh, how are you going to fill that shortfall? Well, we, we do expect that the federal government may be sending some additional relief funds that we'll be able to channel into to assist businesses and others who've been impacted by by COVID-19. And of course, just like we did in the first round of relief packages, we'll we'll work to get those funds out where they need to go. Uh, where how, about, are, how much do you think you'll get uh, in additional funds from the federal government? Has there been any estimate of that at all? We don't know. We, we haven't been given any numbers at all. So that's all to be determined. And, you know, and in all fairness, too, we don't know what the needs exactly are going to be. So a lot of that's really going to just be uh, to, to be determined as we get into uh, once we really get into uh, uh, February and March and we're in that process. But, uh, you know, we, we've been able to we've been able to get it done with what we had so far. And we actually even with all this, too, we actually have some savings reserves set aside. We've got around a slightly, little, I believe, a little more than a billion dollars that we can use in our savings reserve or rainy day funds also called in case uh, in case we end up needing that. So uh, we have some funds there to, to, to take care of things. There's been a lot of conversation uh, nationally about election integrity. Uh, we have not heard much about that in North Carolina. Of course, all elections, as big as the process is, there's always uh, a problem here or there. Uh, do you feel fairly uh, good about the way the election process worked in North Carolina? You know, I do. Uh, the only thing that I'm, I'm, that I'm concerned, I'm, there are two things that I'm concerned about. One is same day voter registration, where we know, for example, folks will go in and register and there's a significant number of, uh, uh, when, when folks go in and register that day where, where they send the registration card out for the board of elections, that those get returned for a, no such person or no such address. That's a little concerning. The other one is the voters of this state went to the polls 
and pa- and we all passed a voter ID amendment, and uh, the courts of this state uh, struck that down as being unconstitutional, which makes no sense. I really believe that the voters of this state deserve to have voter ID, and and I I you know I'm committed to make sure we take another run at that this year, uh, and respecting the the vote the people to do that. And you know something, there's not much ever complained about elections when people are voting in person on election day showing an ID. When folks are doing that, there's really not a complaint. If you look at where the allegations come up and the problems come up, it's either this vote by mail, it's this voting early, it's uh, you know, no, no ID, did the person who voted, was it really that person? Uh, did somebody go harvest the ballots? I mean, look, it's just been you know, two years ago when we had to set up, we have a, have a whole new uh, congressional election in the ninth district over ballot harvesting. And you know, we passed some laws to say you can't do that. And again, you, know, you had courts intervening and saying, well, maybe you can do it. I mean, just look, people will have confidence in the elections if they know that the votes that are being cast are being cast by their lawful votes. And there's no and there's no mess going on. And so the more you can show that there's nothing going on, the more confidence the people have in the process. And I think we should always strive for that. When will the uh, General Assembly come back into session? We come back in session on January 13th for the election of leadership offices and what's called our organizational session. And then we will come back in in earnest to actually undertake uh, uh, the normal operations and business of the General Assembly uh, somewhere around February the 3rd. You got about uh, 20 seconds to answer this question, uh, and you mentioned it a little sooner. Do you see a, a sense of more bipartisanship uh, coming in? Is there less uh, divisiveness perhaps on the horizon than we've had maybe the last uh, maybe as much as 10 years? You know, I, I certainly hope it's uh, it's bipartisan. I will tell you that there were uh, most, of the, most of the things, frankly, that we did uh, last year and, and, and since I've been speaker have been bipartisan. The things that get covered are the things, though, that, that aren't. I mean, that's, I guess, more interesting to you sometimes. Uh, but I certainly want to see us continue to focus on things where we can get consensus and bipartisanship, because I'll tell you, the issues that we face as a state uh, should never be Republican issues or Democratic issues. They should be issues about what's good for North Carolina and broader, and, and of course, broader. These should be about issues of what's good for all of us as Americans. And so, Anytime we can put down all these things that divide us and focus on the things that unite us, we're that much better as a state and as a nation. I guess it's been Tim Moore, Speaker of the House of the State of North Carolina, and uh, we appreciate your time and spent with us. And uh, we'll look forward to having you back on maybe midterm and uh, bring us up to date on what's happening in the General Assembly. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.